The following is a podcast from Ballin Entertainment. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Today on the show, there be dragons. Around the time that this show uh, launches, the Stratford Dragon Boat Festival will be on the, uh, the waters of the Avon River, uh, September 17th, the 25th race, not the 25th annual, because for two years, because of the pandemic, the race was postponed, so this is the 25th anniversary. It's a, it is a, a quite an accomplishment, and my guest today is the man who started it all. His name is Ken Jean. I've known him since high school. He runs Jean's Restaurant in Stratford, but his family is one of the pioneering Chinese families in Stratford area, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite. Tell me how the Dragon Boat Festival got its start, so 27 years ago now. Okay, so, well, my background, I have a, um, a canoe uh, racing background, and I did that in Oakville from 1989 to about 1995. I moved back to Stratford in, let's see, 1991, and uh, there's, a, there's a fellow canoe paddler, Brian McNeil-Smith, and we got together, and uh, the initial thought was, let's start a canoe club. And then we thought, well, maybe pop, uh, Dragon Boat was pretty popular, and uh, we thought the way to get a canoe club was to do a Dragon Boat festival, and then we, we'd recruit and uh, start our canoe club. But Dragon Boat just took off. Everybody loved Dragon Boat. Uh, we were approached by some women uh, to start a club in the, uh, the second year, 1997. So 1996 was when the initial um, race um, started, uh, but it was Brian McNeil-Smith, myself. There was another uh, paddler that we had a, a meeting with, and then eventually we brought uh, Kevin McCann from Rotary. to uh, That was the, the volunteers for the, for the race, and um, basically the, the rest is history. And Dragon Boats over the last 25 years, festivals, uh, Dragon Boat festivals, have spread all over every town and city across North America and beyond. There seems to be Dragon Boat festivals everywhere now. There are festivals, but I would say it peaked maybe 10 years ago. And then the, um, there's, there's a little less now. The, the competitive end is still there. Um, the locals, uh, yeah, this is still pretty strong, um, but the uh, yeah, there's um, actually a bit of a decline in some of the uh, just just mostly expenses. Uh, there's a bit of a decline in uh, number of festivals, but it's still very strong, especially in the um, the major centers like Toronto, Vancouver, where I'm I'm not sure now, but there, there used to be like 200 teams per race but uh, at, at one point yeah there were every every city that had around here anyway had um, like a service club right uh, they were running events so there, there's a, a big network uh, 
going into the um, 2000s. Started a bit of a decline, but it's still very strong. So, Ken, where would you rank Stratford's Dragon Boat Festival in that milieu? Like, how successful has it been? Has it gone beyond your wildest dreams? Oh, definitely. Um, Stratford race, it's, um, although it's a, a small-town race, uh, it, we were up to, like, 100 teams when we did a two-day event back in around, I think it was 2000, we did 100 teams. Um, it's a, a bit of... Uh, it's plateaued and it's a bit of a, a decline now, but uh, it's still very strong. Um, yeah, there, there are a few that have, have gone, um, but uh, yeah, it's um, a very popular event. We have lots of uh, people come in for that day. Um, yeah, it's still, it's still very strong. So uh, as far as it, it's considered Kind of like in this in this area, the uh, kind of like the closer of the season. So there's a big race in Toronto the right. weekend before, and then Stratford's kind of like the the finale. Now, can you take us back culturally in the history of dragon boats? They were originally set up to honor the River Dragon, and what's what's your knowledge of the actual Chinese history of dragon boats? Well, dragon boats started over two thousand years ago, and there was a uh, a poet, I think it's the Chu Dynasty. There's a poet, um, politician, Kuyan, who um, basically he he did something, and the the king or the leader basically didn't approve of what he said. He lost face, and he jumped in the river to uh, drown himself. And the the fishermen and the farmers they they paddled out to where he uh, drowned himself. They threw uh, these rice cakes and um, other food so the fish wouldn't eat his body and to, to uh, commemorate the, uh, the event because he was a popular politician that uh, they did drag boat racing. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. And uh, modern dragon boats came to be in about I think 1986, uh, 1990, around that era. Now, you come from a Chinese uh, uh, background, Chinese family. How yes. much of that was an influence in your cultural pride in having something Chinese in your hometown? You were born in Stratford, I was right? born in Stratford, uh, born and raised in Stratford. Um, <clears throat> so culturally, it was, it was important to me. It was a, it was a Chinese canoe, um, and when we went to Rotary to sell the idea, and they're all looking at us like, uh, a canoe race, and I say, oh, it's like 20 people in a canoe, and they, it's a Chinese canoe, but it, they paddle, and uh, there's a, whole, a lot of people. It's, it's really good, it's really colorful, and, um, and you know. Do we, we, you know. Were they hesitant at first? They were hesitant. They said, well, I don't know, because there, there were some Rotarians who thought, uh, ah, it's, this is not gonna fly. But uh, we pursued it, and um, there, there's certain parts of it that are, culturally important like the eye dotting ceremony um where do you it, it's the awakening of the dragon so you 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 with um red paint you you dot the eyes and the tongue and uh basically the it's to bring the dragon to life for for the race so that's done as a ceremony uh usually before before the race to instill the uh spirit of the dragon into the paddlers so that's that's kind of important so i kind of cringe when i see some events that 
they'll they'll have the that that dragon head and they'll just have it separate from the bone and someone will hold it and then they'll they'll dot the eye and I, I I shake my head and say no 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 that's that's not right so so the your colleagues at Rotary uh, after the first year or two they must like wow this is an event like what was their what was their reaction they must those who were hesitant must be uh, eating their words yeah well they thought uh, if you get five years out of it they'd they'd be happy and uh, you know they um, a lot of sponsors, a lot of teams, um, very good, positive community reaction. Uh, yeah, they were ecstatic. That's it's one of their bigger fundraisers. So, yeah. Do you have any idea how much you've raised over twenty-five uh, races? Oh, um, gee, there there are some years that they've made sixty thousand, eighty thousand. Um, I I'd, I'd say they're. Probably one one fifty at least, and maybe maybe more than that. Like per year. No, okay, per year. It's, I I think it's like thirty, thirty to fifty thousand. I think. Yeah. So they've probably raised half a million dollars at least over the last twenty five years, eh? I yeah yeah, it's up there. Uh, and that money goes into community work that the Rotary Club right. supports. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm interested to know more about the the history of your family. I remember going to high school. We didn't really have any cultural awareness or sensitivity. Oh, they run the Chinese restaurant in town. Yeah. They're from China. But at that time, Canada, this is the 1970s, uh, right. Canada was a very white, waspy, uh, British uh, and European uh, heritage uh, yes. uh, country. What? Tell me a little bit about the backstory. You were born in, in Stratford, you said. Born in but Stratford. Your, but your family is from China. from China. What part of China, and when did they come over? Okay, so southern China. So they came from a, there's a little village in um, Guangdong, which is the, the southern province that adjacent to Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. And uh, my dad lived in one village. My, my mother lived in a, in a nearby village. And... Um, 19, I think it was 1947. Okay, so I heard the story when I went back to Hong Kong and China with my parents back in 1987. So we were at my dad's village, and one of the relatives was was walking us down Main Street, and the the relatives whispers to to my father, and and, uh, he looks over to this guy, and he says, that's the guy, and uh, then then that guy that older is an old man, um, probably about my dad's age. And I think my dad was like probably in his fifties back then, and uh, walks over to my dad. Shake, they shake hands, have a chat for like five minutes, and my dad gives him a uh, hundred dollar U.S. hundred U.S. dollar, and and my and that that was normal. My my dad was like passing passing money to friends and relatives just you know he's 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 the guy coming back from overseas and coming back from gold mountain <laughs> yeah basically yeah so he, he was passing up to, to relatives and you know he he gave this guy a hundred dollar uh, u.s u.s bill so and then my dad explains to me this guy 1947 1947-46 just before the communists were doing okay. They were doing the the long march through the countryside, and uh, they're they're taking over the country basically. So they were. This is Mao's long march. This is yeah. Mao's yeah. Yeah. Mao's soldiers. So 
And this, this is two years before the Communist Revolution in 1949. Right. Yeah. So this guy tried to extort my father. So he, he said back then that, you know, you, I'm going to turn you into the, uh, to the soldiers when they come. Uh, he, I think he tried to extort money or somehow he, he was kind of threatened. So my father and my mother that night left and went to Hong Kong. So it's, a, it's like an hour, I think it's a, a, an hour drive to, to, the, uh, to the boat that takes them to Hong Kong. So that night, they left. 40 years later, this guy and my dad talk. So, you know, this guy's just, he, so he's still there in, in China in that same, same village, just a, kind of a raggedy old-looking guy who, uh, you know, he, he might be still a small-town, small-time hood still, uh, but my father comes back as a successful businessman. So and gives them the hundred dollars. Gives them the hundred dollars. Looks, who, look who's yeah. uh, successful now, and thank you for for encouraging me to leave. Right. So you know, I I look at this and I think, wow, wow possibly I could be still I could be in China right now if if that didn't happen. So we're kind of thankful for this uh, guy who uh, extorted tried to extort my father to, and and he left with my, with my mother to uh, Hong Kong. So nineteen late nineteen forties. So what year did uh, did your parents actually come to Canada? Okay, so my father, I think uh, nineteen fifty two. Right. So that was five years, roughly, after the lifting of the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was in place for a number of years and prevented families from coming to Canada mm-hmm. to migrate. So it was the first nineteen fifties was the first wave. So where when your father and mother came to Canada, where did they eventually, where did they have their eyes set on well, my, settling my down? Well, my father actually came first. Okay. And then it was a couple of years later than, than my mother came, then, and then later my, my sister came. Uh, so my father came, he, he uh, somehow, I'm not sure how he ended up in Stratford, but he was um, kind of going from Stratford to New York and to Windsor. So he was a, he was a he started as a, a, a waiter at uh, Golden Bamboo. Golden Bamboo used to be where Kiwi Craze, or uh, what's there now, uh, the Pulp is there now. Uh, so that that was um, the Chinese restaurant, Chinese restaurant in Stratford. In Stratford. Yeah. Yeah. So Golden Bamboo, and then um, my father left to go to New York. Um, I think he was a waiter there too, and, you know, and then went to Windsor, and then there was a. Uh, the owner of Golden Bamboo had a job opening to train a chef. So he offered my father to uh, come back as a chef. So he came back. Uh, my mother came over. And uh, I know we l- they lived, and I, I didn't live there. We lived at the, the house of the owner's there was a, 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 rest- a Chinese restaurant, and I believe it's the first Chinese restaurant in Stratford, Stratford Cafe, which is where that empty space where the old Beacon Herald was. So on Ontario Street, uh, there's that old, I th- and I think it's still empty there, um, but that, that was Stratford Cafe. And my father lived at their house, and then we moved to actually the owner of the Golden Bamboo owner's house, 
And uh, so my, my father worked there for quite a while, and my mother did also when she worked, when she came to, came to Stratford. Um, so, and then it was, it was 1970, my, my father decided to, uh, to start his own restaurant. Which is still in business today, yes. and it's called the House of Jean or Jean's well, Restaurant. Jean's. Yeah. House of Jean was our buffet restaurant from about right. 1981 to about 2001. Right. And you recently celebrated 50 uh, years? We were, f- yeah, 50th, um, yeah, 20, 2020 um, in June. Just before the COVID, just during COVID. During COVID, yes, yes. So culturally speaking, when Chinese migrants first came to Canada, the men came over to work in, uh, in the railway and manual labor. Uh, and then in the 50s and 60s, there were Chinese laundries right. and uh, restaurants. Why do you think it is that those were the uh, areas of entrepreneurship that the Chinese community pursued? Why restaurants? Why laundries? Well, we were, okay, so ideally, um, and I'm not quite sure back then, but I think, uh, okay, so originally the, the, the Chinese came because of the, the railroad. Um, and then when the railroad was done, they, they were in, still in the small communities, and uh, there was a need, and they, they were happy to stay there, and then there was a need to, uh, you know, the restaurants, they wanted to work, so restaurants was uh was something they could do um dry cleaning yeah there's cleaning cleaners that that was another thing uh even even at one point there was uh the the convenience stores also they were they were big into um i th- i know a lot of my relatives that have come over you know they, they uh immigration wants them to come to small small cities that they end up going to to eventually go go to the big cities but uh i know um back then uh yeah restaurants were you know every every little railroad town would have this a uh, chinese restaurant and those that style of you know north american chinese canadian restaurants we call it chop suey style restaurants so we were part of that that uh style of Chinese restaurant so they yeah so back then yeah every little little uh, town had a, had a had a Chinese restaurant and yours is one of them yes and in the Chinese community which is probably very small in Stratford when you were growing up like many small towns we see the Chinese restaurant for Westerners as the place for food but how was it also uh, a support and a hub for the Chinese community. There must have been things happening after hours or upstairs. What, what yes. How important was the restaurant as an island for your culture? Okay, so back then in the 70s, when there were, there were a few restaurants, maybe like three or four Chinese restaurants, and uh, yeah, the, the, the workers, most of the workers had their own, own little house, so... Um, although there were some workers that w- later that would come to Stratford for the week and then go back to their their homes in Toronto, uh, but basically back then there were like I would count five families of Chinese. There's five Chinese families, so like 50 maybe chi- 50 Chinese people in town. Uh, we all spoke Cantonese because they're all from southern China. Later on, there'd be an influx of, of 
of different Chinese that spoke Mandarin, which we really, really don't have too much to do with them because just the language barrier, we just have nothing in common with them. So back then, the families, the, the men were the breadwinners that worked at restaurants. Um, you know, some of the, the, the women worked in factories. My mother worked in, in some factory back then. Um, yeah, there's, there, are, there are a few kids that, uh, you know, I, 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 that, I, that I knew um, that were from Stratford, uh, same high school. Uh, yeah, so one, one of the cultural things that uh, with Chinese restaurants, well, okay, so we, they had ping pong tables. I remember the gold bamboo, the 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 one on the one by Queen Street and Ontario Street when they first opened that one up. So the original gold bamboo was uh, downtown. The the second one, and then they eventually closed the, uh, the the first one down. But the second one, there was in the basement. There was ping pong table. So we always played ping pong. That was that was one of the things that that we always did. Um, you know, my father did, and and the other cooks did. Um, so that was definitely a, a, a cultural thing for us. Um, the other thing was gambling. So the men who liked to gamble, then back then everybody, they're all smokers also. So um, there would be, and usually at a restaurant, uh, once a week, not, not, all, not all year, but they're, they're kind of like spurts of, uh, oh, there'd be like... Uh, Weeks of uh, you know every, every Monday night when well usually Monday night because Monday was a, either they're closed or it was a slow night or or a day off for for a lot of the cooks and uh, they'd be gambling at the at the restaurant uh, yeah usually at the restaurant I don't think there was too much at uh, at someone's house so even our restaurant above the uh, on the second floor there'd be There'd be a gambling table there, uh, and it's usually Are dominoes. You play mahjong or oh domino? no no it, oh. Ma- mahjong was for uh, usually for more like older people actually. Okay. So this this was like Sky Nine or Pi Gal, uh, which is the, the dominoes with the uh, red right. and white spots on it, and uh, it'd be boom boom with slap slap slap, and it's it's it noisy game, and and then uh, guys were uh, there'd be like bottles of scotch or, or whiskey there, and the guys were smoking there. And they they play through the night and uh, oh there's some stories about uh, cooks that uh, lost their their paychecks uh, d- during the these games and uh, yeah usually they they ended up uh, finishing at about maybe one o'clock two o'clock but sometimes they went like six in the morning so so here you are probably a teenager a young yeah. teenager at the time observing this right you also worked in the restaurant right you helped out I, what, what did you do there i always worked at the restaurant um so i was eight years old when my father started the, the restaurant our original restaurant was 38 erie street so i was eight years old i got paid a dollar a day so seven bucks a week um and I okay, so we didn't have. What know, did you do? What was your job? Uh, I would I would clean, cleaning, uh, washing dishes by hand. Uh, There's vegetables to like take the leaves off celery, um, peeling peeling skins off onions, a bit of cutting, uh, clean up, 
yeah, that's help, helping my mother do things. I, I, I think my mother taught me how to make plum sauce back then. And back then it was, you know, we, we had to grind fruit on a, on a, a hand grinder and then mix it. And then, you know, we made our own plum sauce back then. And my mother grew her own bean sprouts back then. So I would, I would help her there. I would tag along anyway. So, so what's it like inhabiting at that time two worlds? You have the Chinese community, an island of its own, with the dominoes going upstairs and working in the, the store. And then, on the other hand, you're in the Western uh, Canadian community going to high school or public school. Right. How did you come to terms with those two worlds? My world was the restaurant because I, I, I didn't know any different. Like I thought, doesn't everybody do this? So I would, I would go to school. I'd go to the restaurant for lunch, go back to school, come back. I'd do my homework at, at the restaurant. So my, my parents were always at the restaurant. So I grew up in the restaurant, you know, and, and everybody else, I guess, uh, I don't know. They, I guess they didn't have the restaurant life I did. So that, uh, this was normal for me. So I didn't think I lost out on, you know, a Western lifestyle, or I, I guess, because um, this, this was normal to me. To me. And I, I, did ha I had my, my, my Canadian friends, and, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, so there's the, there's the school life, then I transitioned to my, my restaurant life. Talk to me about uh, uh, racism. I mean, uh, cultural racism. We're seeing, unfortunately, a rise in anti-Asian racism. It was probably a little bit more overt, uh, open. People would call people names back then. And uh, tell me what you experienced and how it how it kind of um, uh, influenced you or, or had an impact on you. Okay, so I was a skinny kid when I was young. Um, I remember being 12 years old, 5'8", 107 pounds, so I was really skinny. So I was, I was an easy target to, uh, to uh, try to bully. So um, it was just Chinese, you know, a, a few Japanese. That was it. We, we, did, we, we hadn't seen the Vietnamese come in until like probably the, the, the mid-70s. And, uh, you know, we didn't see the Koreans or we didn't see the, you know, the Thais. Uh, so it's mostly... Or maybe, maybe it's my perception, but I, I only saw uh, the Chinese and then there were a few, few uh, Japanese. So, so you encountered some bullying, and did it end up leading to anything severe for you, or you just put up with it? Okay, well, when I was 12, and I, I was just, and I'm, I'm still skinny, skinny kid back then. So I You're still skinny today. I am, Even actually, though you run a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not that uh, I'm not a big guy so I was walking by City Hall back City Hall and back then there was um, I think Avondale there's there's a pool hall there for sure and then I walked by and these two guys who were they were 21 they were and I, I'm 12 I'm a skinny Chinese kid and uh, they they kind of racially melt me off and uh, I get pushed, and I, I get uh, I get uh, hit in the face. Uh, someone called, uh, I think it's a tourist, or someone calls the police, and then they arrest this one guy. And um, 
yeah, it was it's it's racially motivated. So my response to that was uh, okay. I started lifting weights just just I lifted weights just to look normal. I, I you know I you know I, I put on a bit of weight uh, during high school and uh, you know fairly fit back then. But uh, that that was a result of that bullying or beating. It wasn't a beat down, but I I, I got punched and uh, got my glasses broken. Um, and the police took action. They took action, but my father did not want to press charges. He had a restaurant, didn't want, I guess he didn't want the uh, bad publicity. So so that, that kind of stuck with me. That, uh, that kind of upset me that he uh, didn't let st- it go. Didn't, stood up, didn't stand up for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... But that was a different era back then, and perhaps right. there were different motivations. Today, that yeah. wouldn't happen, I don't think. No, I don't think so. Okay, so, yeah, I, uh, so for me, I ended up, you know, the, I ended up hanging around the pool hall, shooting shoot pool during, during high school. So I think it was me trying to be uh, accepted in that kind of culture. So these guys were like, I don't know, redneck uh Long-haired guys who uh, hung around the pool hall, and I, I ended up um, hanging around the pool hall, shooting pool for during my high school years, lifting weights. You wanted to be a tough guy, so yeah. you could deal with the tough guys who were That's bullying right. you. Yeah, wow. That's right. So I've I've always been aware or wary of, yeah, that they're they're, they're you know mo- most people are generally nice and good, but. There's a possibility that I could run across someone racist, so I I am always kind of on guard that you know I, this. There's a possibility that 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 could come out sometime again. So you're listening to the Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now back to the show. So you grew up in a small town in a, a largely white town in the Chinese restaurant business. Then, what happened uh, after high school? You decided obviously to leave to pursue higher education. What 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 did you do? I left for I went to I went to university for one year, and uh, that didn't work out. So I went actually went for phys ed for one year at Western in London. Ontario, and then I, I went after that um, two years George Brown College for restaurant management, which was a change of from sciences to more a business type of career, and then I went for two years for marketing at George Brown. So even though I did go to school, I lived in London. I would regularly still come back to Stratford and work on weekends at the restaurant. Um, even when I went to George Brown, it was, it was a regular occurrence that I would come back to work. So even though I live somewhere else and uh, I'm experiencing another city, um, I was still very connected to the restaurant coming back. Did you face any pressure from your parents to come over and take over the restaurant? Well, I think they wanted me to. Uh, they ex- I think they expected me to actually, but I, I remember when I was, I think I was thirty. Okay, so I, I came back. I actually came back to 
to work when after I got married. So about 92, I moved back to Stratford, working full-time at the restaurant with my, and my wife worked also. And so I got married when I was like 29. So at 34, so I'm working there regularly. And I asked my dad, when can I take over the restaurant? And I'm 34. And he says, you're not old enough to take over the restaurant yet. <laughs> I'm 34. <laughs> so my, my, my father actually ends up working until he's like 70. So, well, maybe he's right. I don't know. So you ended up taking over the restaurant at what age then? Okay, so I took uh, 2004, so, um, gee, I think I'm in my uh, 40s anyway. Uh, yeah, definitely in the 40s. Yeah, just whatever the math is, uh, 40s. Let me see. Yeah, I'm, I'm about 44, 40, 42, 44. So middle age, you took middle over age. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. That's fine. There's there there's things that I, I wanted to do before I took over anyway, and so. But did you ever imagine coming back to Stratford? No, because I I when I after high school I thought nah, I'm not I'm not taking over the restaurant like that's it's not what I want to do and um, yeah well, well I, I took a. My first career choice was more more science based and uh, you know, phys ed. I like I like doing sports, um, and then and then I switched over to you know I didn't do well in in at at university, and so then I switched over more to to business. Then yeah, there's there's a thought of yeah maybe, but yeah, um, but and I I tell this story about my son who is uh 27 now and i and i tell everybody if he comes back to the restaurant then he and he takes over the restaurant then he has failed <laughs> so so he, he's done all his schooling you know i i'm hoping he he um does well in the the, the path that he has chosen so far but i never thought i would take over the restaurant but um you know strange things happen and I'm here. And your wife has Chinese background too, right? She, yes. You met her in Toronto? Um, no, actually, I um, met her through a relative, and she's from Macau, um, which is just off um, off China, um, near near Hong Kong. Um, so she's originally from China, immigrated to Macau, then she went to Hong Kong. So I actually met her in Hong Kong. So that was in the uh, late 90s. No, late 80s, actually. So eventually I, I brought her over, and uh, yeah, she's worked at the restaurant with me. So what's it like uh, for a spouse, a, a woman, your wife, to come from a major metropolis, a major city like Macau or Hong Kong, and uh, come to live life in a small town? And I ask this from experience because my wife uh, came from Tokyo to right. Stratford. So. Uh, it's quite a, a culture shock. But how was? What's your wife's name? Uh, Shirley. Shirley. What was it like for her coming from that uh, bustling area of Macau or Hong Kong, wherever she was last, and coming to this small town in the middle of the rural countryside? Well, she really likes Macau, which is a little more relaxed than Hong Kong. So, um, okay, so we did live in Toronto for a while, 
but uh, okay, so we, yeah, culturally it's it, it's different. The weather she doesn't like. She doesn't like the um, the cold weather. Uh, I don't like the hot weather because it. So when I was there, was like I was sweating. He he wouldn't break a sweat, and <laughs> I was miserable like in, in in that in that weather. Uh, so over here, um, so a lot of trips to Toronto, Chinatown. So especially for for food, um, that that's kind of important because her mother lives with us now. So getting 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 access access to food was, was kind of important. So a couple even now every three weeks we might go to Toronto um, yeah there there's some customs that are that I had to get used to um, that um, were a little different and uh, so yeah there's some there's some there's definitely some cultural clashes there yeah, yeah. I want to go back to your upbringing and working in the, the, the Chinese restaurant at the age of eight. Talk about the Chinese work ethic because for me growing up, I left, uh, went home from school and I played and had fun and did that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> there is something about the Chinese. Can you explain or define the Chinese work ethic? Okay. So my observation, um, Chinese workers will put in a lot more hours um definitely will will stick to tasks longer uh the the 44 hour work week is that's peanuts compared to what what uh, the the majority of of Chinese do so when we hired cooks their salary was based on 60 hours and people think that's uh outrageous um that's normal for us. And I remember when um, Jack Ma, who owns Alibaba, which is the Amazon of the of the eight of uh, Asia, um, and he would said he said that workers, if they want to be successful, should be working eighty hours a week, which you know over here that's that's outrageous. How how can he uh, how can he say that? But that's that's that that work ethic of if you want to be successful, you got to put that time in. Mm -hmm. So my father had an amazing work ethic. So um, I think uh, yeah, he would work seven days a week. There might be a day off there, but uh, generally he he works seven days a week. Um, yeah, he he would uh, go in there in the morning. Um, come back there'd, there'd be other workers there he would come back and then back then we we were open i think during the week till midnight during the weekends we were open till 2 30 and he started in the morning open up he'd be there wow at night so yeah that's where my work ethic comes from it is from him and sometimes i think i'll I, i'll never match his work ethic but uh but now I, I think I might be matching that right now the way things are going. Now, the restaurant world has changed. The culinary world has changed. People's tastes uh, have evolved. We're more sophisticated uh, on not just tastes for Asian food, but tastes all over the world. As people have come to Canada, restaurants have been influenced by that. 
what how has that um, uh, influenced what you called the the chop suey type restaurant we still love going on New Year's Day or wherever time of the year people have traditions oh I want to go to to jeans to get my uh, fix of, of Chinese food how has that uh, changed over the last 10 or 20 years well the chop suey style of restaurant Chinese restaurant is is kind of phasing out because if you look at them at the uh, at the malls and and the those type of chains like gold chin I think it's gone uh, there's the Manchu walk that I think they are that chain is is gone um, yeah it's uh, it's 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 changing and part of the problem is the workers who did chop suey restaurants they're you know they've either passed on or they're they're aging out uh, the newer workers who are and they and they're from a di- different different part of China they don't even speak Cantonese so they're they're a different type of worker um, they're doing different stuff you're going into IT and startups and yeah. banking and things like that. Yeah. Right? yeah. So the lack of Chinese workers that do chop suey restaurants um, aren't there. So there's not as many opening up. There's not as many taking over the, the old restaurants. So there's that shift. So um, it's phasing out. Like there's, there's definitely um, fewer and fewer. So there could be a day when small towns or even medium-sized towns don't have a place where you can get your fix of egg rolls or yeah, that's uh, pan or that's quite possible. We're, it's it's still very popular here, um, but uh, you know once uh, our restaurant, uh, you know I don't know how long we we will keep on going, but uh, but there's nobody in the next generation right now to take it over, right? Yeah, so well, we, m- most of the kids don't want to do it because they're they're you know the goal was to for your kid to be better educated and successful and not have to do all the hours that you did. So they're not taking over their parents' restaurants. And uh, the immigrants, uh, yeah, they're, they're not as readily jumping into chop suey style restaurants either. Back when I was, uh, you and I were growing up, I think there were three restaurants that had Chinese uh, backgrounds. There was the Commodore restaurant, the Golden Bamboo and uh, Jeans, and right. only Jeans remains now. Mm-hmm. Right of those uh, three original. And there's a couple of smaller restaurants. There's a, a few takeout places in, in Stratford yes. and one at the mall. But yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, there could be a day when there isn't a Main Street uh, Chinese restaurant in Stratford mm-hmm. or any other small town. Yeah. Yes. And why is it that when you drive around these small towns, you see Chinese and Western... Uh, Chinese and Canadian. Chinese and Chinese Canadian. And Canadian. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, well, okay. Because you could order a hamburger yeah. as well as some chop okay, suey. Okay, so right? the, our... Okay, well, I, I think the thought is if you're going out for Chinese food and you got a group of 10 people, there might be one person that doesn't like Chinese food, so we got something for them. So you can still come in. So that's, that's the thought. Chinese and Canadians. People ask, what's Canadian food? And uh, so <laughs> we have to explain it to them. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, your burger and fries and 
and stuff like that. So to make sure that you had something to please everybody, right. if you didn't like Chinese food, you could have something else. Yes. It's a restaurant to eat at. You can eat whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. There's an interesting... Um, so we have this dish called chicken oriental. So when I grew up, we were called orientals. And I, I, and I, I was just having a conversation with my teenage staff, and I mentioned, I mentioned that... Uh, and the word Oriental, and she thought that was really offensive. You know, I grew up and, oh, that's that was normal being called, you know, you're, you're Oriental. So in uh, I and in mid '90s, that's when we um, had to be called Asians. So I, I didn't get it back then. I, I don't even remember movies like uh, uh, there was. Uh, Year of the Dragon with uh, Mickey Rourke and uh, John Lone, and and they they mentioned Orientals that 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 was normal back then. And then and then there's this shift to um, you got to be called Asians now. And I I didn't, I didn't get it because my even my 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 son's best friend who is Indian who is like India Indian and he said he's Asian. So oh okay well that's that's kind of strange for me. I thought. Asians were all, you know, me, black, black hair, and look like us. But uh, so it's a broader, broader um, range of, of countries and, and people. So, and I, I guess what I'm reading is Oriental is offensive because we didn't give ourselves the name Oriental. So that's kind of like, you know, the um, indigenous people being called Indians. And uh, say, well, we didn't, we didn't pick that name, so that's that's offensive. So, yeah, Oriental. W w that was a strange one for me. So all of a sudden, no, you're not Oriental anymore. You're you're Asian now. And, and now my my joke is, um, I was born Oriental in the mid '90s. I transitioned to Asian, and now I live as an a openly Asian man. It's remarkable. You're. You're a couple of generations removed from China. Your 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 parents came over uh, before the communist revolution. Uh, so I'm not asking you because you're connected to the Chinese uh, current affairs, but there is a growing division uh, in the world now between East and West, uh, between East and West. And what do you view as that? Uh, uh, that dichotomy now, where China is going, and the rest of the world's perception of that. Well, China is becoming more and more powerful. Um, well, I'll tell you my my wife's perception, and she she liked Donald Trump, Donald Trump's way of handling China, as in, you know, they're 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 kind of you know, stealing intellectual property and uh, they can't be trusted. Um, yeah, that their influence, their, their power is, is just too inf influential. So, and I have relatives who during the Cultural Revolution who lost things because they were, you know, they, they, they had... They had um, stores, they had some wealth, and then during the Cultural Revolution, they um, lost all that, and they were kind of ostracized uh, in, their, in their towns. And then, so 
Yeah, there's there's uh, there's some bad feelings about the the Chinese government, um, and I, I recall my cousin who um, came here for high school, and and we're talking about Tibet, and um, her perception was the Chinese government is helping these people. That that was the the narrative that the the government of China was telling their people that oh Tibet's not a, not oppressed they're we're, we're helping them so they they um, definitely control their their media and uh, what what they want their people to believe so yeah they're uh, they're tricky so. And the, the the recent stuff, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, they, they they want to take back Taiwan, um, so that's tricky. What uh, the U.S. are doing right now? Here in Stratford, we had uh, a, a controversy that our city government got a little in trouble for. Uh, a Chinese glass plant was going to relocate to Stratford. The community was divided over it, and in the end, the, the glass plant didn't go ahead. And during that uh, crisis, I'll call it a crisis, there was some uh, rise in anti-Chinese, anti-Asian uh, discrimination. Um, what's, looking back on that particular controversy, what's your, your view? Did Stratford's uh, elected officials, were they a little bit naive in in moving ahead with that, or what was what's your perception? My perception of dealing with China is you got to be really careful because they they can renege on a deal just like that. They they um, I, I've heard of so many incidents where you you make a deal, you know, some kind of trading, some kind of selling a product, and then they'll steal your product. That's that's what they're kind of famous for is for not developing their own stuff but uh, stealing intellectual property, um, sending students here to learn things and bring it back to to China. Um, yeah, dealing with um, Chinese companies is it's really tricky. And my question was, why did they have to do it here? So. There, there's some environmental issues with that glass plant. Um, they want to do it here, so we we inherit all the um, environmental problems. Is that why they they want to do it here? Um, yeah, sure. The the um, they save money on on shipping, but uh, yeah, there just seemed to be a little more. Hmm, what's going on here? That's 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 what I thought. So. Um, I I think the 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 city, yeah, probably a little naive to uh, push it, try to push it through. Um, yeah, t- dealing with with Chinese companies is 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 tricky. So with that in mind, where do you see the 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 future of Stratford? You can talk as a local entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a restaurateur. Uh, we're seeing obviously a lot of changes in the culinary landscape. Where do you think uh, our community has the potential to grow and and thrive in the future? 
Well, I think with the coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of struggling restaurants still. Although, you know, the the, the town has been busy. You see a lot of tourists around. Restaurant dining rooms are are filling up. Um, but there's either um, still probably hurting, or they're banking on success in the future for success. Um, Although there are a few expansions going on, um, and and good for them, you know they they found that uh, that way to uh, that mix to make money, um, but I'm still a little cautious. So I, gee, pandemic just just coming out of it now, and then. Uh, and then I'm, I'm not. I'm still not uh, sure about the future. Uh, most of these restaurants, I would say probably all the restaurants, <clears throat> have this government loan that they have to pay back next year. So that's that's another consideration. Um, the culinary business in Stratford is, is still very strong, very very uh, very upbeat. But uh, I think there's a bit of caution there too. You know, you know there have been a few closures recently so and you've cut back your hours have you we have cut back our hours our our issue is staffing so we used to hire cooks from toronto we can't hire any cooks from toronto now there, there's so much work in toronto right now they're not going to come to stratford to work uh, so we're basically short two full-time cooks so we close Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm still working seven days a week. I'm still working those hours so I can have enough to be ready for, for my weekend. So you're cooking yourself now? Uh, oh, I've always have. I've always have, but I'm, I'm but taking- But you're it right now. Well, my wife cooks also, but all the prep is, is basically me, so. Uh, so getting all the food ready Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your busy days, you've got all the food ready to go right. to make the dishes. Right. So we've basically, our, our most busy times, that we are open now. Uh, we we don't, haven't been doing lunchtime. It's just supper hour, Thursday to Sunday. So when we're open, we're busy. Minimal staff. Uh, I think I have a staff of 10 now. We used to have a staff of probably 22 when we had dining room. Um, dining room doesn't make sense. If, 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 if I have dining room, expand my hours, you know, I, I'm working 75, 85 hours a week now. So am I going to work 100 hours if, if I open up my, the dining room? <laughs> you know, I can't do it. So, And it's all takeout now. It's all takeout. Right. Yeah. And one thing about Chinese food is it's not like flipping a burger. It's uh, elaborate. It's all the same ingredients, all mixed into different dishes. The, so you have to have everything ready so that on a moment's notice. Yeah. Tell me about the, 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 the process. The, yeah. Okay. So we, we, we cut our vegetables, you know, you know usually, usually the, the day before, and, and they're, they're prepped. They're, they're kind of portioned. And um, so for the, basically there's a, there's a walk station, there's a fryer station. So the walk station, you know, we have our all our pre-prep done, and then there's three walks. Um, so when we get an order, and we don't we don't make like 
hours ahead of, of food. So we, it's basically the order comes in, we look at the order, um, there's the boiling water in the middle, you know, we, we cook our vegetables, we stir fry our meat, and then then the vegetables from the, the boiling water is put in to the the stir fry stir fried with yeah. the meat, we finish it off, you know, spice it, sauce it, that's it. So every dish takes about three, four minutes. Um, that goes to the, to the packer. So the fryers, the fryer and, you know, we, the egg rolls we have to make ahead. So we, we do about probably we 800 to, um, well, average is probably like 800, 800 a week. We make a, a week and then Christmas time probably a little more like 1,200 egg rolls a week. Chicken balls, I'm, I'm constantly frying chicken balls. Um, yeah, we go through quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I, it's I, a lot of work. It's, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot, it's a lot of a lot of prep work. Um, it, it's very labor intensive. So, a, a lot of prep work for a short amount of hours. You know, we're only open you know four thirty till eight most of the uh, the week from Thursday to Sunday. Um, then you. Yeah, there's the fryer, and then there's yeah. the wax, and then there's all your sauces. So there's a bit of work there. Well, as someone who's eaten at your restaurant for many decades, for me, it's comfort food, and uh, uh, I, I respect the amount of hours you put in, and I hope uh, that somehow we'll able to retain the that uh, that flavor and that menu in Stratford for for years to come. Hopefully, you can find some way of keeping the business or the the tradition of of Cantonese food in Stratford. Yeah, well, uh, hope, hopefully we can. We'll, we'll see what we can do. And you'll be on, on the riverbank, I imagine, or in the boats for the Dragon Boat Festival? Yeah, I have a couple teams that I uh, I coach, and um, there's the eye-dotting ceremonies that I, I help supervise, so I will be down at the river on race day on September 17th, and uh, my teams are out in the water, you know, two to three times a week practicing, so... Uh, I'll be on the water also. Well, Ken, thanks very much uh, for being on the Stratford Slice. I'm very grateful for you stopping by. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me. My guest today has been Ken Jean, the founder of the Stratford Dragon Boat Festival and the owner of Jean's uh, Restaurant in Stratford. You've been listening to the Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com. And be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com. <laughs>